Shakespeare wrote for more than 1,200 characters. By contrast, the Beatles only wrote 227 songs. I couldn't honestly choose my favorite Beatles song if my life depended on it, so I'm not really sure how I imagined I'd be able to choose my top five favorite Shakespearean characters. You can take the characters in Shakespeare's plays and roughly categorize them into groups. Warriors and lovers, royalty and peasants, fools and magicians, etc. But even within these groups, the challenge is nearly insurmountable. Each of Shakespeare's characters, with few exceptions, are well-crafted and nuanced players in these stories. They have complex needs and wants. They feel deeply. They are vibrant, vital. Choosing favorites feels like heresy. When we first agreed to do this episode, it seemed like a fun exercise. Then it became a torturous one. How should we set about this task anyway? What criteria should we use? In the end, we can't pretend that this is anything other than a subjective thing. We chose characters who speak to us on a personal level, who inspire us or who point to something true or universal in the human condition, who make us laugh or cry more than the next guy. And maybe that's the trick here. Favorite doesn't mean best. The list we generate today will say more about us, our worldviews, how we want to relate to others, what we value in people, how we wish we carried ourselves. Maybe they're representative of the kind of characters we wish we could write about in our own stories. Maybe we just like the way they talk. But, and here's the magic of Shakespeare shining through, they're ours to love. Since brevity is the soul of wit. More of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo. Wherefore art thou, Romeo? To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward. An infinite and endless liar. An hourly promise-breaker. The owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertainment. I'd beat thee, but I should infect my hand. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. The course of true love never did run smooth. That's my introduction. Very nice. Yeah, Lindsay. thanks. I liked thanks. it. Thanks. I'm glad. That Took me pretty. about ten minutes just now, <laughs> but it was hard. It was almost mm. as hard as coming up with five, five, five characters, characters well, to choose yeah. because it is it's it is a, a hard thing to do when you've got 1,200 characters, 1,227 or something like that characters or 23, a lot of characters. There's a lot of characters to deal with. I mean, how many of them are guardsmen number three? But who cares? There's still a character, and he wrote him. So yeah, they're worth talking about. Well, exactly, and and it seems like, um, like I said, it was heresy to try and and choose, and um, it's 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 not okay. It's not heresy, but it's really <laughs> difficult because, um, like I said, each one of them is is unique and maybe not wholly unique, but they all have a purpose, and that's what's important. I think there are few exceptions where uh, a character doesn't have a defined purpose that moves the plot forward or does something for the plot or for the audience that makes them um, important. Their role is important. Yeah. So to choose five favorites is really, really tough. Yeah. Um, I don't know. How long did it take you to come up with your list, Aiden? Uh it wasn't so much like I, I I had an initial instinct of instinctual of, uh, <laughs> desire to pick a certain yes. some characters, yes. um, and but it was really narrowing it down into a top five from 
uh, my larger list of say a top 10, top 12 kind of yeah, situation, right. uh, picking out the top five. So wait, you came out, you went with like, he's okay, I'm going to sit down and do all my favorite characters. And then you whittled no, it down from no, there. I, I started off with my top ones that I knew would be like, I think my top three were pretty, pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, I was like, Oh, but this, Oh, but that one, mm-hmm. Oh, but this one and this one, what if Lindsay picks this one? That's the other thing. We have not compared lists. No, we yet. haven't. We yes. Have, we have avoided and talking about it entirely. Yeah. So we might've picked the exact same five characters. Which I would be shocked if that happened. I would I'm, also be shocked. I'm hoping there are a few crossovers. Yes, yes. Was there anything that surprised you about the list that you came up with? Like, for example, um, for me, uh, characters that I thought I would pick because I've said they were my favorite for years. Yeah. When I actually started to analyze it, I'm like, you know what? This character's not that good. Or there's somebody else who I would huh. choose above them, even within the same play, as I'll talk about. Hopefully, we didn't choose the same character. We'll but, see. Um, so was there anything like that for you? Yeah, there was one that jumped out at me uh, later on. When we get to it, I'll, I'll explain how. But it was, I did not see this character as one of my top five by any means. But as soon as I started thinking about him in comparison, it is a boy. Instead mm-hmm. of uh, in comparison to the other characters, I mm-hmm. was like, yeah, no, this this one's actually more interesting. And I, I really enjoy uh, reading the, the play in mm-hmm. which he is featured and so forth. So, yeah, yeah. Did you feel pressure to choose the characters like yeah. Hamlet, Macbeth? Yeah. Like when you look I did, at actually, <laughs> yeah, and when you look up these lists online, you know all the newspapers they yeah. they'll run a list of top ten best characters. I think yeah. that's where my intro came from was that in doing all of this, everybody seemed to pick on. Or pick out the best characters, yeah, the and most I don't know what that even. means. Yeah, neither do I. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I felt a little bit of pressure to avoid those characters. Spoiler yeah. alert: yeah. Hamlet is not on my list. Not mine neither. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh well, yeah. But that, I, I not did. to say that he's not a favorite. No, he I, is. I he's think really he's a good character. Yeah. I just think there are other ones that are maybe more underrated or or that I appreciate more. Yeah, the way I kind of well, and I I. Just put it in my description. So we'll get to it okay. when we get to it. Okay. But yeah, let's That's let's uh, let's. So how how are we structuring this a little bit? I uh, think I think we're gonna go back and forth. I okay. think it'll be like you did the intro. So I'll do my number five first. Okay. Then we'll do your five and back and forth till we get to the number one. Um, we also did list some honorable mentions. Or I have multiple. You said you had. Just I only one. have one. <laughs> that was. I, close. I thought we were coming up with one. Yeah. No. I'll I, come like, up with a few on the on the fly. Yeah. I, think I, it'll be I might easy prompt to do some that. things for you yeah, too as we're sure. talking, right? For. I must tell you friendly in your ear. Sell when you can. You are not for all markets. So Aiden, who is your... Or, or, I guess another question might be, yeah. is this in, ranked in order of importance or is um, this randomly? It's semi-random. I would say my number one, two, and three came together very close. Four and five were, again, on the bubble. So On uh, the bubble? Between them and the honorable mentions in terms of who I was going to include in the top five. I've never heard that phrase five. before. On the bubble? Did you just make that up? No. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. Listeners, if on the bubble is a phrase you've heard before, (laughs) like and subscribe because uh, you're going to hear Lindsay claim she's never heard some very common phrases. (laughs) Never heard that before. Never heard that. No, I haven't. Okay. All right. Well, Um, anyways, we're going to. My list, my list, I think, randomly ended up in more or less chronological order, which I realized was. I didn't plan that at all. It It just happened. That's how it works. Sort of. With except the last two are kind of okay. anyway. Okay. Let's go through Aiden. Your your <laughs> number five. Uh, my number five pick is King Lear. Ah, 
from King Lear. Uh, obviously. Um, no, King Lear from yeah, Titus Andronicus. It, yeah, his minor role. Yes. In Titus, yeah, 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 obviously. Uh, so, Tell me why. Why King Lear? Um, well, honestly, I was like, oh, well, I need one of the major tragedy characters you know you need a Macbeth or a Hamlet or a Romeo or Juliet you know you need someone like that I feel like to round out the the list and as I was going through that I realized well Hamlet's a little overdone and frankly he's just a whiny young kid sometimes (laughs) and then Romeo and Juliet are also just kids and Macbeth is interesting but uh, perhaps not the most interesting character in that play even but Lear did it for me because um, he's kind of he had this one kind of foolish trait that kind of brought him all down, but underneath that trait of, you know, not trusting Cordelia mm-hmm. and like, and like setting up this, this foolish idea that he could be king while not being king anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but layered upon that is, are all these, these, uh, facets of his character. The fact that being a king was so central to him and he didn't realize it until he wasn't the king anymore. And yeah. he was starting to be deprived of these kingly, uh, duties that, um, it's, it's really interesting to watch him slide down, especially I find mm. his descent into madness and, you know, doesn't he get blinded at one point and stuff? Or is that yeah. his, another character? I don't remember. Uh, but there's all sorts of like, he goes through a lot of crap, which is not the case for Hamlet mm. or a Macbeth. It's just kind of like, oh, well, here's your initial incident and you can follow it all the way down to your eventual demise right. because uh, you're, that's just how you were built. Mm-hmm. Lear kind of follows a bit more, uh, tortured path I'd yeah. say to get there and his redemption at the end is a little more earned because of that I find uh whereas you know some of the other characters don't redeem at all well and Lear dies he yeah he dies he redeems himself, he redeems himself but himself he doesn't get this, a good ending no he doesn't right? he, because he doesn't deserve one either right. like he has this character flaw that just kind of keeps him down um but uh, at the same time, he does kind of come around to realizing the fault of his ways. In a way, Macbeth really doesn't. He's just like, oh, yeah. I'm just going to keep fighting. Those trees will never come. Oh, they're on their way. Well, I'm going to fight anyways. Or, right. You know, a Richard III even or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and Hamlet goes so far off. Yeah. I yeah, mean, also like, descends a bit into madness, but it's a yes. different kind of yeah. descent. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so it's it's kind of, you know, and, and it, the scene that always jumps out at me is when he's, I can't remember if he's blind or if... Uh, no, it's Gloucester. It's Gloucester who's blind. blind, that's right. But he's walking around in rags with his jester at his side and they're just wandering and and he's just, he's lamenting his position. And it's so, not, it's it's kind of sad, but it's also kind of well, like... the fact that he's there with his jester to begin with. Like, yeah. you can't even let go of the, the trappings of courtly life, yes. even while he's wandering the moors. Exactly, you know? it's, yeah. It's really it, it's it's pathetic. very It's pathetic, and it's indicative yeah. of his character, but yeah. it, that, that the fact that he kind of realizes it's pathetic along the mm, way, and yeah. that the audience is very much kind of realizing that this kingly figure is pathetic... Yeah. Uh, is something that we don't get in a lot of the other characters. Yeah. Like Hamlet will never delve into that level. So I, I just found him really, really interesting. Of all the major tragedy characters, I found him at the top. Interesting. Cool. Um, so another thing we're going to do here is uh, with each of the characters that we've chosen, I think we've selected a quote that kind of sums up why we chose that character as our favorite. So Aiden, do you have a quote ready for King Lear? I do. Uh, it is his, oh, reason, not the need speech, mm. uh, which is when he's talking to uh, Goneril and Regan. And he's trying to say like, well, I need I need my courtiers and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I'm the king. I, mm. I need these things. Um I'm not going to give you the whole the whole speech because it is it is a little long, but um, basically he says, 
what separates man from animals is the fact that we need things that aren't actual needs. You know, right. he doesn't need his courtiers when they ask him, well, why, why do you, why do you need it? You're not the king anymore, but it is part of him. Mm-hmm. It is, it is so central to his identity and mm-hmm. who he is that you cannot take it away and keep him whole. Right. And that's what he, he gets across. And I, I just love that in, entire speech. Uh, there, there is the one section here. Allow not nature more than nature needs. Man's life is as cheap as a beast. You know, that's, that's yeah, kind of a good summary yeah. of, of how it feels. Like if you can't have all the needs, you're just a, you're just an animal. Yeah, so there's nothing, there's separating nothing us. separating us. Yeah, Interesting. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. So Lindsay, you're number five. Hit me with it. Yeah. Uh, actually you, um, you mentioned her already. Oh. Uh, I, I went with Juliet, actually, oh, which was one okay. of the interesting ones. You kind of dismissed her as being nothing more than a kid, and that's how I used yeah. to think of her as yeah. well. Um, yeah. Having studied Romeo and Juliet in grade 10, I think we all walked away from that thinking, well, okay, these <laughs> these guys <laughs> fell in love for a hot minute, and yeah. 12 people died or whatever. Like, it's it's kind of ridiculous. But, but in reading... Romeo and Juliet recently I think as an older person as a you know nearing middle age I'm looking at her differently I feel like she's got of all the characters Romeo kind of is more pathetic in this play he he comes off as as whiny and needy Juliet is really I I struggle to find fault with her she's young she's exceedingly young she's 13 um, during the events of the play, the three days that we have with her, mm-hmm. um, but she's she's the one who puts the brakes on with with Romeo. She's the one who's trying to navigate this this world between um, a world that where women were the property of their fathers until they were the property of their husbands, and mm-hmm. she's trying to decide which man she should align herself with and she's she wants to be true and good to Romeo she also doesn't want to dishonor her father um she plays nice with Paris who uh her father is the one that her father and mother want her to marry um she has few friends the nurse is her only friend um and later Friar Lawrence um but it's it's like she's so stuck between a rock and a hard place that when when she kills herself, it's out of desperation. It's not because she's there's some flight of fancy. She hasn't descended into madness like Ophelia has. Um, it's not um, the way that Lady Macbeth presumably dies again of madness off stage in in uh, Macbeth. Um, but you just, I feel really sorry for her. I feel like in another play, Juliet would have been a great heroine. Mm-hmm. And because of the circumstances that she was put in, um, she's she's just a very tragic figure to me. Yeah. Especially when you, when you teach 13-year-old girls and you think, I can't imagine one of these girls in a situation like this and not making dumb decisions. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't fault her for the decisions she makes. And I think that's important. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that a lot of people forget about when they talk about this. I don't want to elevate Romeo and Juliet to the status of great lovers because they're not. Mm-hmm. But I also don't want to say, I don't want to dismiss her and say she's nothing but a, a dumb kid. Like, she was really trying to make... A, a way forward for herself in a time when 13 was an age when you got married and had babies because mm-hmm. that's how old her mother was when she had Juliet. So, yeah. you know, that's that's a, a tricky road to hoe and and um so road I'm to hoe? That's a phrase I've never heard before, You're Lindsay. kidding. Now you're just No, making, seriously, what is that? When you when you uh, 
it's like a tough path to follow. To kind of? yeah. yeah. Like okay. if you're going to, if you're going to like hoe, like in the garden. Oh, okay. You know, a row, a of, row vegetables of vegetables or, or in a field or something. It's a okay. hard row to hoe. It's, it's not in. Okay. I've never heard Okay. That this is going to be the like sayings <laughs> episode where we, we come up with idiosyncratic ways to make each other laugh, I guess. Uh, I like it. <laughs> Anyway, that's that's why I chose Juliet, and and surprised me because I I never would have thought Juliet would yeah, be on my list. But the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, you know what? Yeah, yeah, she she cracked my top five. Yeah, no, that that and that's fair. This it's a good way of looking at her character that I think gets that's gets overwhelmed in the pop culture phenomenon of the great lovers, right? Yeah. And it's it doesn't give her enough context and no, and and sense. everything is put on Romeo. Like Romeo is the one who does a lot of the acting. Yeah. Re- Juliet really has to just react to everything that's happening around her, which is pretty standard for female characters Mm -hmm. but you know in doing so she still has some pretty standout moments like the one my my quote that i chose yes what is your quote um from the morning when the morning after romeo has been banished and juliet is promised to paris and their wedding has been set for the following thursday or two or three days later um she goes to visit friar lawrence um to receive counsel and Paris is there, and they wait until Paris leaves, and then Juliet uh, demonstrates how desperate she is. She just wants the wisdom of Friar Lawrence to to help her, and if not, she's going to kill herself. So the mm-hmm. quote, Tell me not, Friar, that thou hearest of this, unless thou tell me how I may prevent it. If in thy wisdom thou canst give no help, do thou but call my resolution wise, and with this night I'll help it presently. God joined my heart and Romeo's, thou are hands, and ere this hand by thee to Romeo sealed shall be the label to another deed, or my true heart with treacherous revolt turn to another, this shall slay them both." Therefore, out of thy long experienced time, give me some present counsel, or behold, twixt my extremes and me, this bloody knife shall play the umpire, arbitrating that which the commission of thy years and art could to no issue of true honor bring. Be not so long to speak, I long to die, if what thou speaks speaks not of remedy. And I love that. I just think it's like, you know, someone who is just, she's just, I can't marry somebody else. I'm married to Romeo. You married us. Tell me what to do or I'm going to kill myself. Like, I can't handle this. It's mm-hmm. it's everything that a 13-year-old would go through. Yeah, would do, yeah. But with very real... This is not, you know, somebody being, being you know, yeah. called out in the hallway at school. This is somebody dealing with, with the very real possibility of, of having their soul, like, sin on their soul, marrying, you know, polygamy and... Uh, it's just it's it's and she's just so forthright about it yeah. i just love it i think it's great that's awesome Very thanks nice. <laughs> aiden who's your number four number four is the baddie iago from oh Othello. so good yes, i was gonna pick so, him but i didn't you didn't okay I, didn't. I was worried that was going to be one of our crossovers um because he's such a good bad guy um and shakespeare didn't really do straight up bad guys very often um that but was iago is but bad. iago is just dude. just straight from right from the beginning he's just like i hate othello i want to see him burn and that's it and like <laughs> you get a hints of of why like maybe he thought othello slept with his wife and mm. um also just you know uh he passed him over for promotion i think was one of the other things but he's not consistent with why he hates othello mm. and so it kind of clouds the entirety of his motivations in a play all about people's motivations for not trusting one another yeah and at the end they all trust not don't trust each other because of iago um 
And yeah, so he just did evil in, in a very non-Shakespearean way because we don't get any motivation. We don't get into his head at all. And so we just see this chaotic force acting um, and it's it's really, really fun to watch. Um, and the other really great thing about Iago is that he was evil, but he didn't do anything. He literally let everybody else do his dirty work for him. He would just talk. He'd just let them know, hey, you know, like, well, she might have slept with somebody else. You can't trust her because, after all, she didn't listen to her father when you married her, so she can't be trusted. The men in her life can't trust her. Um, and it's it's really uh, it's fun to watch in that way because you just see him working on the other characters. There's there's other manipulators in the Shakespeare canon, mm-hmm. but never anybody who worked just on that level yeah. and who uh, was the evil force in that way. Like, you have, like, Elena Macbeth is obviously a very manipulative woman, uh, but she was just looking out for her family, really, at mm-hmm. the end of the day, and she wanted she thought her husband would be a good king, and, mm-hmm. you know, there's other ways of looking at it. Iago's just evil. He just wants to see the world burn. Um, and I especially like the lack of... Uh, structure around his motivations because um, I always kind of viewed it as just like an, uh, a summary of racism generally. It's like, uh, well, I just, I hate him because he's a more. So yeah. I just hate him. Like yeah. there, there's just nothing, there's no reasoning behind it really. Like he can, he the fact that he creates these two kind of competing uh, motivations behind it is very kind of indicative. Well, oh, I hate him because he, he slept with my wife maybe. And, oh, I hate him because he passed me up for a, a promotion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, but it's really just, I hate him. I hate yeah. him because he's a more. Um, and I thought that was actually kind of a nice, <laughs> you know, uh, it gets to the heart of what of what racism does, does yeah, or how, yeah, how it, operates. it operates. Yeah, exactly. It's just it's that flat and empty. There's nothing yeah. else inside it, right? Yeah. So um, I thought that was that was really yeah. Interesting, what a so. great choice. Yeah, Iago is somebody that I think gets passed over a lot in terms of because he's next to Othello, who is this great tragic figure. Yeah. But um, Iago really is. Um, yeah, he's he's not very complicated. He's just no, not in- he's just a, a he scorched earth. That's what yeah. he he wants to do, yeah. and that's basically it. So yeah, yeah, but it works well. It does work well. Mm-hmm. What's your quote? My quote is a good summary of Iago. I think I will not wear my heart. Well, he says I, before this. Sorry, I'm, I'm quoting it out of context. So he's saying I will not do this. Will wear my heart upon my sleeve for Dawes to peck at. I am not what I am. And that is just, that is so confusing and that's such a strange thing. But basically he's saying like, I will not, you know, reveal my true identity ever. I am not what I say I am. Yeah. And it's one of those ones, well, you say you're, you're saying you're pretty evil to the audience every five minutes. So is that really what you are? You know, it, it just so adds that extra evil. layer. Yeah, perhaps. Right. So, or he thinks he's not or mm-hmm. something. Right. Um, so I, I just love that quote because it's a nice short summary of his, uh, his odd little character that we get a, a view of. And of course, uh, Iago's other great contribution was to come back as the parrot in Absolutely. Aladdin in 1993. Which so. is interesting as uh, Iago being being a character who does a lot of talking and yeah. a lot of, you know, whispering into people's ears and making things happen to have Gilbert Gottfried play, <laughs> but 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 also to play a parrot mm. who is known for mimicking human speech. And yeah. maybe, maybe there's some... We should do a Disney episode for oh, a special episode. Yeah. You know, talk about the Lion King. The new Lion about, King, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> great choice. Um, what about you, Lindsay? What's your number four? Interestingly enough, I also went to a villain for my oh, next one. Okay, okay. Um, but I went for Shylock. Villain? Lindsay. Okay, so here's here's the interesting thing. Because Shylock is presented as a villain. He's the one that, that the hero characters, and I air quotes around mm. hero, the hero characters are are... Uh, fighting against 
Um, But but Shylock is such a complicated figure, and I've seen performances of Merchant of the Merchant of Venice that uh, depict him as a villain, and I've seen some that end up making you question why this play ends with a wedding. Mm -hmm. Like, why is this play considered um, a comedy when? In reality, this is this is actually a pretty harrowing moment or a harrowing story for this for this character. It's called the Merchant of Venice. Shylock is not the Merchant of Venice. That no. is Antonio. Antonio is one of the worst characters. I hate Antonio. <laughs> He's such a dick. Yeah. And and Shylock ends up rising from from the ashes of all of the the shit that's gone on around as this even when he's cast out at the end and has this this horrible fate bestowed upon him horrible in his mind horrible to our minds as a modern audience he's forced to become a christian um give up his faith give up his business um he's given up his daughter Mm -hmm. uh to marry a christian um he's giving up everything in order to save his life right and and that's um in in having that happen to him you feel so much pity but also as a modern audience there's a lot of shame that comes along with watching a play that so clearly is playing with racist ideas that I don't know would be called racist at the time but we're, we're going to get into this a lot when we talk about the Merchant of Venice mm-hmm. but it is a very complex play yeah. and Shylock is a very complex complex character so yes I'm calling him the villain because in the play he is the villain mm-hmm. but is he a villain no. I really don't <laughs> think he can he is he no. isn't he's just somebody who is complicated and operating against the will of the person that we've been told is the hero who's who's in through whose eyes we're watching the play really right mm-hmm. we're supposed to side with Antonio I think yeah. but in the end we end up signing with with Shylock so Shylock is one of those characters that if you ever were to were to write a a Shakespearean play from the other person's point of view writing it from Shylock's point of view would be incredibly well, illuminating but it's already kind of done it like, kind you know, of is too I that's guess that's the great yeah. thing about the Merchant of Venice is the yeah. fact that it is it does not shy away from the fact that Shylock's just a dude and yeah. he has a different belief structure a little totally bit totally different worldview but that doesn't mean he's not deserving of respect and, exactly. and empathy right and, yeah. and it's it's uh, and you yeah. see that when when his when his daughter ends up marrying Lorenzo when his daughter Jessica runs off with Lorenzo and you get that moment where he's bemoaning the loss of my ducats my daughter my ducats my daughter yeah. he can't he can't uh, and that's a bit stereotypical but it also it it the fact that we even have that subplot come into play, yeah. it's not related at all to the Portia, no, uh, Antonio, Sebastian. No. That, is it Sebastian? I think so. That whole storyline involving the ships that have gone out to sea and haven't come back and the loan and the yeah. pound of flesh. We have this separate subplot of Jessica and Lorenzo running off to be together. Yeah, um, which really that doesn't have serves, to be no, there. Exactly. It only it serves, serves Shylock's yeah. backstory. Yeah. So the fact that Shakespeare did that um, is kind of remarkable because yeah. he is painted as the villain in this play but he's not really yeah. so there's no other quote that you can use for this aside from <laughs> the um the famous famous quote um sorry all of mine are really long so far haven't they been yeah uh from act three scene one um he hath disgraced me and hindered me half a million, laughed at my losses, mocked at my gains, scorned my nation, thwarted my bargains, cooled my friends, heeded mine enemies. And what's his reason? I am a Jew. Hath not a Jew eyes? 
hath not a Jew hands, organs, dimensions, senses, affections, passions, fed with the same food, hurt with the same weapons, subject to the same diseases, healed by the same means, warmed and cooled by the same winter and summer as a Christian is? If you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? And if you wrong us, shall we not revenge? If we are like you in the rest, we will resemble you in that. If a Jew wrong a Christian, what is his humility? Revenge. If a Christian wrong a Jew, what should his sufferance be by Christian example? Well, why revenge? The villainy you teach me, I will execute, and it shall go hard, but I will better the instruction. And that's just the most powerful words put in the the mouth of a character that we really, and Shakespeare's audience certainly, um, shouldn't be um, sympathetic towards. Yeah. And yet here you are. He makes the most sense out of anybody in the entire play. And this was a tough one for me because I love Portia. But in in looking at what she does to Shylock, I'm like, you know what? (laughs) I can't I can't abide by even though I, you know, girl power and she she topples the patriarchal structure of the legal system in um, in Italy. But at what cost? Yeah. So my number three is uh, Portia. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Amazing. That worked out well, All right, didn't it? Didn't it? Well. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you gave a quick summary of, of why I like her so much. Uh, and I think we've mentioned this. Because in she brutalizes of, Sh- poor no, Shylock? No, no. That, oh. all, that's that's the one negative. Um, no, but, uh, and we talked about this in our Women of Shakespeare episode. It's the fact that she does the best, she's the best man in the, in the, yeah. in the play. Yeah. Um, it is a play about, you know, a lot of things, but it is uh, also about the law and the the legal system and uh, logic and reason and reasonableness. Mm-hmm. Um, and her attempts, I mean, in Portia's defense, uh, she does, you know, she begs Shylock, like, well, have mercy. Yes. You know, like you need to, yes. if you let him off, everybody's going to be happier. Yeah. And she gives him many chances yeah. to get out of it. Um, and it's only when he fails to show mercy that she fails to show mercy yes. and, and she kind of follows through on his revenge plot eye for an anyway. eye. yeah exactly yeah. yeah um but it's uh yeah and it's it's just it's really interesting to see that because it is a play uh about the masculine pursuits through uh of the of of power through mm-hmm. the law mm-hmm. um and the fact that she steps in and one-ups them all is is uh particularly great um and i i just my quote this one will be really quick because i mean you've already you talked about how it fits into the play she is kind of a, a negative figure but she does um she also has other elements like she she kind of she doesn't really get to choose her own suitor right um but she is uh again bound by rules of logic and law in that if they open the wrong box the yeah. casket then they they are bound to whatever fate right um and she's kind of follows through uh that logical process throughout the rest of her character um but yeah so her the quote i chose was uh the one where she flips everything on its head because she's she's this judge this learned judge brought in to uh hear this case mm-hmm. uh, well she's between, she's arguing the case is she not yeah well you no know, she's yeah she's uh, yeah basically but yeah she's she's being asked you know to interpret the law in this case. right okay and yeah, yeah. uh everything's going Shylock's way. She's like, yep, no, you know, this is pretty airtight. You know, you get your pound of flesh because the, the he didn't bring you your money. Um, and then she just spins it so quickly. It's tarry a little. There's something else. This bond doth give thee here. No jot of blood. 
the words expressly are a pound of flesh. Yeah. So, uh, and it's that, it's that simple. It's, and it's, it's immediately jumping to when I was in grade 10, uh, we studied this play and, uh, my teacher at the time was a really great one for exposing me because this is the first Shakespearean play I'd read. Um, and it was getting at the difference between the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. Yeah. And uh, Portia wants to enact the spirit of the law as this arbiter. Um, but it's only when, again, Shylock pushes for the letter of the law that she then can say, okay, well, then you can't draw any blood because that would be a crime, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I just I just love that uh, that positioning of her character in that scene. And it's, it's just brilliantly done. And it's, uh, yeah, yeah, she's great. Portia's a lot like Juliet in... in- like I feel Juliet could have been a Portia like character in another yeah. play where it's like you're pushed to to the limit of what you can endure and in different circumstances that ingenuity comes out in different ways and Portia uses that to you know remind us all why we should read the terms and conditions before yeah, exactly, we sign away yeah. our life to Apple or Google or, or whatever. that face aging app yeah yeah right yeah exactly <laughs> so what about you what's your number three Lady Macbeth Really? Lady Macbeth. Okay. Um, I love Lady Macbeth as as another villain. Mm -hmm. Um, We kind of talked about her a bit as being someone who is, you know, you said out to protect her family and very much um, uh, a strong person in in the plot of the play, but... I what I love about her is what most people hate about her, I think. I don't know. But I think <laughs> it's that? just, it's the fact that we talk a lot about Macbeth's ambition. Mm-hmm. But it's really, but it really? it's yeah. really Lady Macbeth's ambition. Yeah. And it's something that is very unfeminine. Mm-hmm. And she's... She's an interesting character. We talked about her in our Women of Shakespeare episode because she's not a traditional queen. She's not a queen who um, sits, at least a, not not necessarily a traditional Shakespearean queen, but a traditional queen who would sit by her husband, by the king, and, mm-hmm. you know... Yeah. Uh, what, what's her name from Hamlet? The Queen. Gertrude. Gertrude, queen yeah, Gertrude yeah. Right? Like, she's not that kind of queen. Yeah. She's not... Um, but she's not Queen Elizabeth either. She's not, like, yeah. a, a powerful go out and... She's she's manipulative like Iago. Mm-hmm. Um, but she has... She's the, the seat of all of that ambition. And it's, it's so interesting that Macbeth, for the first four scenes of the play... He's away from home. We're introduced to Lady Macbeth before she, before Macbeth arrives back at at the castle. She's received a letter from him where he explains everything yeah. that's happened, yeah. and her power her power. But she doesn't leave the castle. Like that's where her entire role is that we see. Um, she she is that the heart and center of his home and she derives all of her power from being at that home and when the possibility of advancement um to become thane to become Mm -hmm. king like all of that comes comes along um she can't help but be drawn along with it right like and and it it gets away from her before Macbeth has even thought that this is going to happen. He's just had this this great battle. He's coming back with Banquo. They're going to yeah. have a, a nice big... The yeah. king is going to come. But Lady Macbeth receives a single letter. She wasn't even there. She didn't meet the witches. Nothing yeah. happened. And she's already thinking, like, we have to make this happen. And, yeah. like, her first words to Macbeth, to her husband, are like, you're going to kill the king. Yeah. The king isn't going to wake up tomorrow morning. You're going to kill him. Yeah. We're going to make this come true. Yeah. And it's so unexplained, like, why that needs to happen. Yeah. But... 
but you buy it because this is her home. This is where she lives. This is where she heads up this household. She's going to make shit happen, you know? And she's also, she's not a mother. No. She's not uh, like a traditional wifely figure either. So she bucks all these trends. And that's why I think I don't love her because she's a feminist or because she is. But just because she is she's a very interesting female character. She she embodies a lot of traits that that Shakespeare doesn't allow his women, women to have. Very to often. Have. Yeah. 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 And, and what what quote did you select for? Is it the unsex me one? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. Um, this one is is as we mentioned, she's she's um, she's not a feminine character, but her before Macbeth has even arrived, as I said, she's gotten this letter and she's praying to 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 have the courage to make this happen. The raven himself is horse that croaks the fatal entrance of Duncan under my battlements. Come, you spirits that tend on mortal thoughts, unsex me here and fill me from the crown to the toe, top full of direst cruelty. Make thick my blood, stop up the access and passage to remorse, that no compunctious visitings of nature shake my fell purpose, nor keep peace between the effect and it. Come to my woman's breasts and take my milk for gall. You murdering ministers, wherever in your sightless substances you wait on nature's mischief. Like, she's talking about her body, like womanly, womanly, uh, like her menstrual cycle and and producing milk for babies. She's like, stop all of that. Like, I don't want my period. I don't want to be lactating. I don't want anything that's going to give away that I'm a woman. I need to be a man right now. Because almost like she knows Macbeth is going to push back against it, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Which he does, but, and she ends up having to be the one that carries a lot of this shit out but um and then she pays for it ultimately in the end by going a bit start graving mad and dying so yeah yeah she's just she's such a fascinating character i love lady Macbeth. i think she i wouldn't want to be her friend (laughs) but i would i would rather be her friend than her enemy (laughs) yes definitely villain i have done thy mother so your second my number two number two is henry the fifth slash hal your favorite. favorite. I'm surprised he's not number one. He's he's close. Um, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> uh, is it is it Kenneth Branagh? Do you have a little bit of a crush on Kenneth Branagh? I have a ca- crush on Henry the Fifth, Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, <laughs> when he's when he's storming not the Jude battlements Laws, and Kenneth stuff. Branagh, or Jude, Jude Law's Kenneth Jude Branagh. Jude Law's Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> yeah. Jude Law's Henry the Fifth. Uh, a little less. Yeah. Um, and it, here's the thing about uh, Hal and Henry the Fifth is that uh, when I read Henry the Fourth. Uh, we only read part one, yeah. but I read that play and then uh, we read Henry V shortly thereafter. And I was like, these characters are not the same. They mm-hmm. are not in any way related. The Henry IV is a jovial, happy-go-lucky guy who hangs out with Falstaff, you know, yeah. one of the the best, like, Comedic scoundrels. Characters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In in the canon. Um, and he's just, you know, he's happy to play the role of, of the mischievous scamp prince. Um, even when he's fighting Hotspur and stuff, it's kind of like he's he's still a, a, a man of the people kind of mm-hmm. situation. Um, and then Henry V, he's nothing of that. He's, he's the king. Yeah, he's the king. He's the p- perfect English king. Um, and he's he literally leaves Falstaff behind after he's dead. And there's no uh, reference to any of his other friends or any of his goings on mm-hmm. before this. It's all about capturing uh, the English or the French crown for England. Uh, and all his speeches, you know, the great speeches are all about, you know, uh, once more into the breach and uh, we few, we happy few. We banner. It's all about warfare and, and like the manliness of being uh, Henry V, you know. Uh, 
but and so it took me a while to kind of realize that there is there is an arc there and i think reading part two will help um but there are there are elements of that hal character that follow through in henry v and that's why he's my favorite characters because you get to see this arc over these three yeah, plays yeah um which so you, unique and it, out of all of shakespeare's yeah plays, exactly you don't get that from any other character because he's even kind of the main character in, in henry the fourth part one uh he's like king henry is really kind of a minor character in comparison to Hal who has this Falstaff awesome guy to hang out with and everything um and in Henry V obviously he's one of he's in like almost every scene and he's talking Mm -hmm. to his hundreds and hundreds of lines um so you do get this kind of continuity across these characters. Um, we saw it a little bit when we were talking about Henry uh, the Sixth. We're on mm-hmm. Henry the Sixth Part Three. We're heading into there now, and we just saw our first introduction to the Richard the Third character. Right. And it is kind of uh, it helps when the same actor, for instance, would play him across multiple uh, productions. Productions, yeah. Uh, but it, I think the character is also probably there, especially more in this one because. Uh, the Henry Fourth uh, through Henry the Fifth, uh, and well, Richard the Second into Henry V tetralogy was written later on in Shakespeare's career and he probably had more of an ability to say well I'm going to tie these things together a little mm-hmm. bit a little bit better um, so you you do get this this character arc of Henry growing into the kingship mm-hmm. but not forgetting the the parts that he experienced as Hal yeah and I think that's that's really really interesting because um, you know when he when he, he kind of it it can it feels like it happens really uh, quickly and it's not very subtle and he's he's going from Hal into Henry V and he's the perfect English monarch all of a sudden um, it, it it feels that way but then there's there are those scenes and I think the key scenes are the ones where he is talking to his fellow man mm-hmm. in uh, before the battles at uh, uh, Agincourt especially mm-hmm. uh, where he's you know he's he's just he's hanging out with the with the guys and they're they're talking about the nature of kingship and war and death and responsibility and it's it's there like if there was any other king he wouldn't even think to do this um but but uh how slash henry uh is still the same person in that he's he kind of becomes a good king partly and this is the way shakespeare kind of sets, sets it up is that he becomes a good king because he was he could understand good people as mm-hmm. Hal. Yeah. So when he becomes the king, he doesn't really lose that. And he's still able to talk to the, to the common soldier yeah. and he'll understand his plight. Um, it but, helps that it's nighttime. And well, he's wearing well, for armor. sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Nobody knows it's him, but that's yeah. the thing. He, he can do that mm-hmm. because he, he actually wants to know about yeah. these people. Yeah. Um, and I think the other part is that it, it ties into how, he still understands that he has to be king. Like he can never go back to being mm-hmm. the you know Falstaff's best friend, yeah. um, because he's the king now. Mm-hmm. And and that and that is why the sudden and abrupt change once he becomes king can be a little confusing for, or was confusing for me was because yeah. I was like, well, he was. This doesn't seem like the same person, but he knows he can't be the same person because yeah. he is the king, and he has that part where he's like, well, I'm my you know a soldier's. Uh, soul is his own whereas a king because he's ordered all these souls to fight for him their deaths are on his Mm -hmm. conscience and his Mm -hmm. you know passage into heaven or hell Mm -hmm. depends on whether or not they they they're fighting in a in a just war right yeah so he still has that but he has that connection to them as individuals and as lowly peasants but also he understands his role in shepherding them Mm -hmm. as the king Mm -hmm. and i think that's a really interesting dynamic that's why he's the greatest of all the Henrys that we talk about in the Shakespearean canon, because yeah. he he understands that 
Um, Those dual kind of roles. Yeah, that, that that the king is more than just a person. The king is a is a, a stash station, a status. It's mm-hmm. a it's a, a concept. It's all these things, yeah. and he understands that because he he comes from kings. He's yeah. he's but also because he's I think for the most part with maybe a few exceptions he's mm-hmm. a genuinely good person yeah it seems that way right? you know so yeah, yeah he's he's definitely yeah I mean, killing the french yeah you know yeah, i mean everybody everybody but, has a, a yeah, few happens. moments yeah, that are yeah, yeah, you yeah. know iffy and uh i think my quote actually sums it up again it's a, it's a short one again um it's when again he's talking to his soldiers and he says i think the king is but a man as i am the violet smells to him as it doth to me yeah it's all right there right yeah. it's it's kind of like <laughs> it has that irony of uh, him being the king as he's saying this. So yes, of course the violet smells the same, but to mm-hmm. them they they don't know that he's the king, and so they they take it and they they can ro- wrestle with that with mm-hmm. that concept and that mm-hmm. that feeling. So, mm-hmm. Lindsay, yeah. your number two. My number two is from a later play, mm-hmm. uh, one of the romances, the ah. problem plays. Uh, I've chosen to go with Paulina from The Winter's Tale, okay. uh, Hermione's best friend, Queen Hermione's best friend, mm-hmm. um, the the only person who really stands up to King Laontes in this mm-hmm. in this play, and um, it's shocking to see. And I think it's because the problem plays, the romances, the later plays; these were. Um, they're far more nuanced. They don't fall... They, that's why they're problem plays. They don't fit into these neat categories. Um, but Shakespeare was also a mature, a more mature writer, so he was able to imbue his characters with more complexities without them um, being... They could still be vicious, they could still be violent, they could still be loving, but they didn't. They weren't all or nothing, right? And and the things that... The choices that they made were were had consequences that they had to grapple with that didn't immediately lead to their death, for example, right? So when you see a character like Paulina who um, tells the king, like, you're an idiot multiple times over the course of the play, and she never quite forgives him, and and the whole time she's um, undermining his authority because she recognizes in him that he is becoming a tyrant. And so she, first of all, that it's a woman who's doing it, but second of all, that anybody could get away with doing it. Um, Those are are two remarkable things about her. she she's the one who orchestrates the the daughter who becomes Perdita, um, who orchestrates her escape from death, which is what Laontes it sentences her to as a as a baby, as yep. an infant, because he doesn't believe that it that this it's child his. is his. Um, so he orchestrates all of that and Paulina um, magically makes this not happen. Not magically, but she does work to make that not happen. Mm-hmm. Um, spirits her away, gives her to somebody who find- she ends up being a being raised by a shepherd family instead, right? Um, and then the whole time, we don't know this until the very end, but she's been working. This is where the magic comes in because mm-hmm. she works to bring Queen Hermione back to life. And that's something that earlier plays would have condemned her as a witch. Uh, the Winter's Tale, by the time we get to the end, magic is not something that is um, that is so easily seen as, as corrupt or mm-hmm. evil, right? So she's able to, um, I guess, walk that balance between... Well, it's not even a balance that she needs to walk. It's just it's just what she does, and she owns it completely. And I think that's what I, what really draws me to her is that um, 
she just she knows what is right and she doesn't care that the king who has the power the ultimate power to end her life she doesn't care that that she's standing in the face of this this great man and telling him off right um she just she knows that queen hermione didn't cheat on king Laertes. she knows that the daughter is innocent and and is the rightful princess and she's going to do whatever it takes to make sure that this wrong is righted and even when it happens, like you, you get the sense she's never going to fully trust Leontes no, again. No. And so, um, she's not she's not so easily placated either, right? So mm. she she does all of this, and and hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. You would think that Hermione or Perdita would be upset, but Paulina carries all of that for yeah. them, and I think that makes her a really powerful character. It also, I mean, it's been suggested that um, with a name like Paulina or Paulina, Paulina, I think is how it's pronounced. Um, Giving that name to a woman, I mean, St. Paul being a saint, mm-hmm. and to get, have a woman who stands in that role and kind of takes on, you know, I, I think there's something to that as well. So she's a, she's just a powerful woman and, and a, a really interesting character and yeah. um, someone who is really overlooked, I think, in, in the Shakespearean canon, just like the problem plays are kind of overlooked. Well, exactly, and that's the thing, like, uh, we, I'd never... Because I'd never read it until we uh, until we watched the play this right. past uh, uh, just a month ago, um, and I was really yeah captured by her character mm-hmm. and, and the way she did stick up for her friends and uh, do what's right, yeah. um, and also the the role she had in in eventually turning that character around the king of Sicily. What's his name again? Leontes. Leontes, yeah, because uh, he's one of like when I was talking about uh richard the or henry the fifth in his arc you know mm-hmm. there is a distinct arc to his character it changes over time yeah one of the few other characters i can remember who actually does that over the course of the play yeah. is leontes because he starts off as this very uh you know terrible kind of guy who yeah. doesn't trust his wife and has her you know ex- basically has her killed you know yeah. involuntarily but um leads to her death and then at the end he's a very Kind of, yeah, he's just, he's very, he's been, he's seen his air, the error of his ways. Yeah. And he's actually made a change in who he is. Yes. And you see that on, on stage and, and in the, the play. And that's uh, he's quite so something. He's so hugely conflicted the entire time. And and I think that's why a character like Paulina works. Exactly. Because, because you know that he's not actually going to have her burned at the stake. But a, an earlier king would have, yeah. without question. Yeah. And now we're in this this gray area play with this, you know, where it's not so easily separated into right and wrong, black and white. Yeah. Even though we know that it's wrong, we can see the characters grappling with, with these yeah. questions yeah. And, and it's believable. But but that's what makes her so interesting yes. is that she knows she's right and yeah. she sticks to it. And she yeah. is the voice of reason and, yes. and fairness in this entire gray moral area yeah. right yeah. yeah so she's really great uh did you have a quote i did yeah her? so the the quotes are, it's a nice short one where Leontes has said i'll have thee burnt for whatever she's insulted him with mm-hmm. and she says i care not it is an heretic that makes the fire not she which burns in it and i think that that is just mm. there's so it's balls to the wall like i am going to i'm gonna go down with this ship like you are in the wrong. Yeah. You're the heretic, not me. Yeah. And I think there's there's a lot of power in that, especially when you think about um, who was on the throne when Shakespeare's writing this. Mm-hmm. Like the guy who wrote the demonology book and, and is an authority on witches, witches <laughs> and how to get rid of them. Yeah. You've got a woman who is standing up to a king and behind his back bringing his dead wife back to life. Yeah. There's some balls there, some some brass ovaries being employed 
So I definitely. I definitely impressive there. So before we get to our number one pick, yeah. we're going to do our honorable mentions, yep. uh, plural, at least in my case. I, and here's just a couple, just top of the head kind of thing. Uh, Shylock was also close on my list. So was Lady Macbeth and so was Macbeth. I think okay. Macbeth is also a, yeah. a really interesting character. Richard III was also yeah. high up on mine. Uh, and Cleopatra, another history one. You know, hmm. we slag on the history a lot, but I there are some really great characters in there. Um, and I thought Cleopatra was one of the more interesting uh, historical characters, for sure. Especially because of, of who she is in the mythology of, yeah. of Egypt and Greece well, and, and yeah, Rome, Rome and, and all of the, yeah. the, 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 the ancient histories yeah, that we talk about yeah. outside of Shakespeare. Exactly. And my last one, and this is kind of silly, but Fortinbras. Oh, no, perfect. No, he's a great, a great guy. He's such an interesting character in the Good sense dude. that, well, is he? <laughs> and that's the thing, like, uh, uh, he's, he's, he's not seen. He is, he is this off screen, mm-hmm. uh, antithesis to Hamlet. Mm-hmm. And when he shows up, um, I've never seen it played three or four different ways where sometimes he is the savior. Yeah. Sometimes he is the harbinger of doom because Hamlet, uh, Hamlet has fucked over Denmark so bad that this Fortinbras yeah. guy is going to come in and, and like re- ruin everything. Yeah, ruin, de- yeah. destroy everything, right? And so, and the text is like so ambiguous about mm-hmm. this because he has like three lines like, mm-hmm. well, tell me what happened. Delaertes, yeah. I think, or whoever it is, right? Uh, and that's kind of the whole his whole role is just to like step in here take over the throne and then ask you know one or two lines um but he's off he's this presence this counterpoint to hamlet that's that's really really interesting in some ways probably just because of the cultural weight of hamlet but he's in some ways he's more interesting than hamlet yeah in that that respect i I think probably especially because he's not he doesn't have a lot to say. Yeah, exactly. But you, you he's can't built pin him up down. off screen. Yes, exactly. So it's kind of like the monster you don't see in a yeah. horror film. When he shows up, you're like, oh, that. And then this still but in allows this way, some... it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah because there's yeah. some flexibility. In yeah, it. So, yeah. What about you? Where were your honorable mentions? Well, I originally only had one, but as we were talking, I came up with a few more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the nurse in Romeo and Juliet is, is an underrated character, yep. um, but an important one. Yeah. Same with Friar Lawrence. I think that, that Friar Lawrence, to a lesser extent, because he's the one who kind of fucks everything up, but... Uh, but still important. But still kind of important. Um, the nurse being more, I think... Yeah. For Juliet's sake, I think she's definitely she's an important. Well, character. and she helps flesh out uh, Juliet's character for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, Viola from Twelfth oh, Night, Twelfth Night, as well as Malvolio from Twelfth Night. Yeah, both characters that are interesting in their own ways. Viola for the the kind of not gender bending. I don't like using that term, but um, she does do some interesting things. As I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the character that she pretends to be that she pretends to oh, be I can't remember either. but when she's dressed as a boy and she ends up making this beautiful noble woman fall in love with her and there's some really powerful romantic moments between two women on stage mm. that um that is interesting yeah and plus viola is just cool and malvolio because you kind of another character kind of like shylock that yeah. is painted as a villain but you also kind of feel bad for him like yeah. he's 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 guilty of nothing more than, I guess, ambition, overvaulting ambition. But, yeah. um, but also, there's uh, he's just gullible, and that's yeah. not a crime. No, but he is he is severely punished for, yeah. um, for wanting love, and yeah. I think that makes him kind of a tragic figure. Um, the last character that I think uh, isn't even really a character, 
but the bear in the winter's tale i really he features at the end of every one of our episodes Episodes, if you've listened long enough you hear the bear announce the exit our exits off of the podcast platform um but i think that without that bear that play doesn't happen right i mean he is the or he or she i guess the bear kind of is the one that kills antigonus and allows that that poor baby Perdita to, to be yeah. left on the beach mm-hmm. for the shepherds to find or yeah. the shepherd and his son to find so um and that kind of sets the whole thing in motion so yeah. plus it's the most famous stage direction yeah in all, all of Shakespeare time. exit yeah. pursued by bear I mean it's it's <laughs> it's kind of a no-brainer for me as far as I'm concerned the bear I and we've only seen it performed once and it was a giant teddy bear <laughs> it was a giant teddy bear which was which kind okay, of okay yeah it was an odd choice yeah. I don't know how she do it you, you don't really have someone dressed up in a bear costume that would be ridiculous right maybe but in shakespeare's day do they just you know knock down the the bear, the bear baiting, baiting wall and just, den yeah, and just say through. hey can we borrow one of your bears maybe. can winnie come out to play yeah. <laughs> probably not methinks thou art a general offense and every man should beat thee i think thou was created for men to breathe themselves upon thee all right aiden I, I, I have a feeling, having listened to the top four plus your honorable mentions, I have a feeling I know exactly who you're going to pick for your top, your first choice. Number one, yeah. Um, uh, my reaction will dictate whether or not I was right. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm, I'm curious, though. Who is your number one? It is Beatrice. Not who I was expecting. Really? I thought you were going to pick Cassandra from... Uh, oh, Troilus and Cressida. and Cressida. Or Cressida from Troilus and Cressida. Yeah. You didn't mention Troilus and Cressida once, and that was one of your favorite plays That's for true. a very long time. So. For a while. But, I mean, the characters, they are kind of interesting, especially Cassandra, or not Cassandra, uh, Cressida, because mm-hmm. she is trapped in this in-between place. But it's very similar to, to Juliet. Yeah. In that way, she's she's stuck in this in-between role. Beatrice. Beatrice. Let's of course. Go for it. Well, no, I, I mean, Beatrice. what is there to say about Beatrice? She's She's perfect. She's she's strong and capable and smart and she doesn't take any shit. Um, she's a woman qua woman. <laughs> you know, she does not rely on cross-dressing. She's not Portia. She doesn't need to be a man to say what she thinks and to express herself and, yeah. and be respected for it. Um, she is a woman uh, who is a good woman in the Shakespearean sense. Yeah. Um, and a good woman in our modern day sense. Yeah. And I think those are very uh, rare kind of collaboration points. But uh, it, it works really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's kind of a sad indictment that this is the only woman in Shakespeare that I can really pinpoint that has those those mm. marriage of qualities. Mm-hmm. Uh, because otherwise Shakespeare relies on, like Lady Macbeth, disgendering them almost to in order to make them achieve anything yeah whereas Beatrice is, is stands up for her friends and does everything that she needs to as a woman as a woman and then she still falls in love with a, a decent guy you know yeah. it's like she literally has it all she's the one female character that Shakespeare let have it all mm-hmm. and it's uh and I I love I love watching her when it's performed especially the the early 90s version with Emma Thompson obviously that's just because uh, you have a crush on Emma Thompson uh, yes absolutely that doesn't hurt <laughs> uh but uh, you know, even other performances. I I think we I think it was performed once at uh, our local festival, and I remember yeah. just enjoying it the heck out of her. Always do. So yeah, she's just my favorite for for enjoyability, and then she just ticks all the boxes of <laughs> of a really interesting character yeah. in my mind. Yeah. Um, and my quote for this one is kind of the quote. <laughs> Again, it is the one, and it is longer this time. Oh, that I were a man for his sake. 
or that I had any friend would be a man for my sake. But manhood is melted into courtesies, valor into compliments, and men are only turned into tongue, and trim ones too. He is now as valiant as Hercules that only tells a lie and swears it. I cannot be a man with wishing, therefore I will die a woman with grieving. Oh, I'm yeah. like, that is such a yeah. good uh, Beatrice summary. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so she's my number one. Beatrice, awesome. Love it. What about you, Lindsay? Um, we didn't have any overlap. None. I'm, I'm wow. kind of shocked. That's this pretty is, impressive. This is, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going with Miranda from The Tempest. Ah, I should have seen yeah. that coming. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? You, you, well, I knew you love, yeah, I know you love her. Yeah. And you love, you love The Tempest a lot. I do love so. The Tempest. Um, and again, another complicated female character because, um, I think a lot of early scholarship on Miranda suggested that she was the embodiment of of female feminine virtue mm-hmm. um and it's only recently sort of that that there's kind of um people are looking at her a little bit as more of like a more of a feminist i don't know if we call her she's not beatrice she's not uh portia no. but she she embodies feminine qualities she doesn't shy away from that but she she uses them in in a kind of you can read it this way in kind of a manipulative way mm-hmm. to get what not just what she wants, but to be the balance to Prospero, to be the balance yeah. to her father. So her father is this tyrant, kind of tyrant, tyrannical figure who inhabits this island and all the, the creatures living on it live under his thumb because mm-hmm. he's this great magician. Um, and she's kind of this tempering, calming influence on him, which is which is fascinating because she's a woman, she's his daughter, she should be listening to him, not the opposite. But yeah. she's still, in listening to him, and she does, she does do what he wants her to do. She marries who he wants her to marry, um, but only after she decides that it's okay. You know, like she falls in love with the guy she wants to marry. Ferdinand, I think is the name. She falls in love with him. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, okay, yeah, dad, I'll do what you want me to do. But... But it's it's simple things like her first line is my quote that I'm gonna I'm gonna bust out here right now. Um, the, her first line in, at the beginning of Act Two, she, it's it's almost like she walks onto stage and she puts her hand on his arm and and or like like any daughter who wants to like you know manipulate her father, yeah. she's like, Daddy, <laughs> what are you doing? If by your art, my dearest father, you have put the wild waters in this roar, allay them, right? Like. It's sorry. That's scene one. Not is act act one. Scene two. Yeah, yeah. It's her first line when she walks onto stage. Um, it's like she she knows how to use what gifts she has to get not just what she wants, but what's best for the people around her. Mm-hmm. And and she's almost a civilizing influence, right? Yeah. She's not um, a wild woman. She's not wild like her father. Or Caliban. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. So so she's really. Um, She's a fascinating character and a fascinating portrait of femininity that goes to the opposite extreme of someone like Lady Macbeth or I guess Imogen might be another one maybe as a as an honorable mention from Cymbeline who again is less active than than Miranda mm-hmm. but still like these are these are complicated women who come out of these later plays and so I just, I just like her. Yeah, no. I wouldn't, I, like I said, these, the, my order of, of the list went chronologically, more or yeah, less. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I wouldn't say she's my favorite, but, like, my top favorite. But yeah. she's up there. She's yeah. definitely one of the more interesting female characters in, in Shakespeare, so. Agreed. Agreed. Cool. 
If I longer stay, we shall begin our ancient bickering. Well, this was fun. Now let's get down to brass tacks. That's another saying. Have you heard that one? Get down to brass tacks. These brass, these tacks of brass that you speak of, Lindsay. What? What are you talking about? Shut up. Of course I know what brass tacks are. All right, all right. I've been down to them many times. You are a chair upholsterer? Yes, now? yes, that's exactly what I meant. <laughs> Wonderful. So on this week's marriage counseling, yes. uh, we are going quote for quote, who has the best, which of our top characters has uh, the, the greatest line? Um, Lindsay, do you want to go first or should I go first? I've been going first most of the day. Yeah, I'll go first. I have no problem going first. Please. Um, and it's actually a nice little segue here because uh, I'm I'm going to go with another quote from Miranda okay. from The Tempest. Um, this is why I think she embodies all that is good in these complicated figures, these complicated characters, but she also represents something that's very hopeful for the future. You could call it a little naive, but we can all use a little naivete. Um, going going forward. Sure. Um, so her line from Act 5, late in the play. Oh, wonder how many goodly creatures are there here. How beauteous mankind is. Oh, brave new world that has such people in it. She's never met another person. Mm-hmm. They've come to the island. It's the first time she's met other human beings. Yeah. And she's in love with humanity. She's in love with everything beautiful and wonderful that, that lays ahead of her. It's like this fresh beginning, this fresh start. That is what um, we should all be so lucky to have a moment like that in our lives that makes us, um, us want to just hug the world. You know, and I feel like that's what Miranda does. And I think that optimism and that goodness of character and you can call it naivete if you want, but all of that works well to create a character that is that is really wholly good and bright and intelligent and and just that's that's what the best of Shakespeare's characters are. And I think she kind of encapsulates that. The best of Shakespeare's characters have those qualities. And she says it in four lines. Yeah. That's good. I'm wrong though, right? Well, You're y- going to tell me I'm wrong? Uh, yes, of course, <laughs> because you are. But yeah. uh, I have to say that was a very well-made point. And I think that is really a great a great introduction. Or not a great introduction to her character, but that is a great summary of, of her character and the unique position she has is this... this uh, uncivilized civilizing force you know Mm -hmm. like she is she is new to humanity but she has so much humanity inside of her that's to also have it be in the last play that likely one of the last plays that shakespeare wrote by himself anyway to to have that be like the final word for his female characters or to have it be one of the final words of all of his characters Characters. it's It's true yeah it's nice not as nice as mine though (laughs) uh so mine is uh the quality of mercy speech from Uh... the merchant of venice the quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. Tis mightiest in the mightiest. It becomes the throned monarch better than his crown. His scepter shows the force of temporal power, the attribute to awe and majesty, wherein doth sit the dread and fear of kings. But, mer- but mercy is above this sceptered sway. It is enthroned in the hearts of kings. It is an attribute to God himself. And earthly power doth then show likest when likest gods when mercy seasons when mercy seasons justice. Therefore, Jew, though justice be thy plea, consider this that in the course of justice none of us should see salvation. We do pray for mercy, 
and that same prayer doth teach us all to render the deeds of mercy. I have spoke thus much to mitigate the justice of thy plea. Hmm. That one, and the reason I love that one so much is because uh, in the context of the Merchant of Venice, it's a play about empathy. And this is calling for the Jew to show empathy. It's calling for Shylock to say, hey, you know, we've all (laughs) had it rough. Yes, you've been wronged. Um, But mercy is so important to... uh, to the the again the uh, function of society, the function of society, but the the uh, spirit of the law. You know, ah, the, this yes. this thing that the law can be can be just, but it can also be merciful. Yeah, and uh, you know, it, it is literally about showing mercy to a fellow man, not because of anything else, but just because it's the best thing for uh, humanity, and it's above it's above kings. You know, it makes you greater than a king. It makes you godlike. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a play about different interpretations of what God is, mm-hmm. you know, this thing is placed above all else. Now, it's obviously a very Christian interpretation yes. that you know Shylock doesn't really necessarily line up with, and you can see why his character wouldn't yeah. buy, bite for it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it is it is fundamentally about treating human beings well. And in the play where that is <laughs> the thing that needs to be decided is can you treat someone well when they've wronged you? Mm-hmm. Uh, it is it is really important. And that really is the the central theme of of the Merchant of Venice, really, yeah. when you when you break it down. Yeah, and I, I just love it because it's I think it's Shakespeare's most most forward looking play of all of them. Of course, by far. yeah. So I think that one's uh, plus I, that's the speech I had to memorize in grade ten when my um, grade ten teacher made us memorize speeches. I'm disappointed that you had to read it this time. I remember the first line and a half. Okay, everybody does. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> all I kept. Okay, so I'm sorry. Apologize so, so wait, to your teacher. Well, uh, he's retired now and okay. hopefully not listening to this podcast. Let me tell you. Uh, so, uh, holy shit! I don't know that that that's a that's an amazing quote, and it's I pretty good. it's pretty good. I and I think I think whether I, we may have to call this one a draw, but yeah. what I'm what I'm looking at as you were reading that, and I'm thinking about my introduction to this podcast mm. episode, where I said that our lists would reveal more about us, yeah. than it would about the character <laughs> we're talking true. about. The fact that you went for something merciful and <laughs> higher than, you know, very philosophical, very abstract almost, uh, this concept of mercy. And I went for something very optimistic and yeah. love everyone. <laughs> I think mm. I think my introduction was yeah, yeah. possibly the best one yet. Yeah. I think that we can call this a draw, but I won I the episode. You win the episode, yeah. But very good. I learned a lot about you, and and I think after sixteen years, it's rare that you would get to have <laughs> get this to moment that. of insight into your partner. But um, interesting that we did not have any crossovers either. Yeah. So uh, yeah. this was this was illuminating on many levels. Hopefully for listeners too, and it wasn't just boring listening <laughs> to us go back and forth. But I'm also impressed that we didn't just go for the the standard easy answers. We, yeah. there were some deep cuts here. I think. Yeah, I think so. We could have gone deeper. I think probably we'll go for the we'll we'll make a list of our top five uh favorites the hipster edition <laughs> well i'm, I'm thinking we should revisit this one line i'm or... thinking we should revisit this after we've read i think all we plays, should because there's still some that we haven't read that we haven't watched yeah or that uh, it's been a long time and yeah. maybe we've forgotten about yeah i also think we should do one that's our least favorite characters yeah or like the characters we hate the most we would just kick them in the teeth if we met them yeah. there may be some of the same characters would show true. up on the list yeah. <laughs> which, which would be interesting so yeah maybe look forward to that sometime Parting is such sweet sorrow that I shall say good night till it be morrow. 
So that was it for this top five episode. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you have top fives, uh, top five characters, us. definitely send them. Uh, we'll probably run a poll on Twitter when we post this or yeah. something asking people for their top five because, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, it, so. There's 1,200 characters. So yeah, we're challenging choice. you all to not choose the ones that somebody else has chosen. So good luck with that. <laughs> there <laughs> impossible. should be options, but yeah. Um, uh, so... So next up is Henry the Sixth, Part Three. Finishing off the the minor tetralogy, we didn't do the yeah, Witch we, of the Third yeah, yet, Witch of the Third is coming later. Uh, actually, so we're we're, we're this halfway trilogy, through this <laughs> first Henry ad. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we're finishing that off, and then we get into some some of the more named the the recognizable plays. Yeah, I plays think are coming up here. More so. people have read and more have been performed or been performed more frequently. So, so should be yeah. should be a lot of fun. Yeah, hopefully you'll uh, join us for that. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at TheBixPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheBixPod, or by email at TheBixPod at gmail.com. That's our cue to exit.